Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men. And we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today, we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Do you know what the 11 Hebrew words mean that God spoke to the woman in the Garden of Eden? Bruce and Joy put that and more in the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3. We invite you to get a copy today and make sure you have a solid foundation for understanding the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible. It turns out when Genesis 3.16 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And now enjoy today's episode of The Eden Podcast. The focus of this episode is Genesis 3.16 and 1 Timothy 2-3. In my late teens, I began speaking to youth groups around my area. I had a handful of talks I developed. I refined these talks over time till they worked well. Then, in spite of what verse I was asked to speak on, I managed to give one of my core talks. In so doing, I trampled over a lot of the verses I was asked to speak on. I never researched any of those recommended verses. Frankly, I didn't know how. This kept me from exploring the many messages God speaks to us in the entire Bible. I was a stellar example of the insightful wisecrack I heard years later used on someone else. Great message. Wrong verse. Then I enrolled in and paid for several years of seminary studies after college. My roommates there were frustrated with me at how I always ran roughshod over the passages I studied. Finally, in my second year, 17 months after starting my studies, I had an aha realization. I saw what I was doing wrong. I got a hold of the study methodology that was offered to me. I stopped using verses as an excuse for me to trot out one of my five talks, and I began to let the passages speak to me. Then I worked to pass on the messages I got straight from the Bible. Last time, we looked at how the True 316 unlocks the meaning of Ephesians 5.15-6.9. Do you remember what we discovered? If you don't have those discoveries clear in your mind, we have an action step you can take. The important details about Genesis 3.16 and Ephesians 5-6 are recorded in Volume 2 of the Eden series books. It is entitled, Beyond Eden, Ephesians 5 and 6. The subtitle is, the Great Mystery Revealed, Mutually Submitting in Christ. You can order your copy right now of Beyond Eden by me, Bruce C.E. Fleming. Now, let's look at 1 Timothy 2 and 3 in the light of Genesis 3.16. Where does the Garden of Eden appear in 1 Timothy? It appears at the end of chapter 2. But prejudice, or bias from a mistaken interpretation of what God said to the woman in the Garden of Eden, appears a bit earlier in the chapter. Have you heard that Paul was biased against women? I have. Do you think Paul could have gotten something that important so very wrong? That idea goes against my understanding of what inspiration by God involves. In my mind, if God inspired Paul's words in 1 Timothy, and if God's theology is trustworthy, then what Paul wrote must be error-free as well. 
I don't think we take the Bible seriously if we dismiss this part of it as being culture-bound and irrelevant. So let's study the passage in 1 Timothy a bit, shall we? In order not to take the verses on Eden out of context, we need to determine what their context is. This means we need to determine where the passage in 1 Timothy that refers to Adam and Eve begins and ends. It begins in 2.8 and ends in 3.16. To save time, let me say that Paul lists his three personal sins in 1 Timothy 1.13. Paul was astounded that God gave him the commission to serve as God's mouthpiece among the nations outside of Israel. God treated him gently because he had only sinned ignorantly and in unbelief. After giving God praise for saving him, especially from three of his sins, he uses this list to go step by step in the remaining verses of chapter 1 and in chapters 2 and 3. First, he refers to his first sin, that of blasphemy, in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. He names two blasphemers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who he delivered to Satan to learn not to blaspheme any longer. Then his second sin, that of being a persecutor of the church, he takes up in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7. He had been saved even though he was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. He wanted other persecutors like him to be saved as well. Finally, starting with 1 Timothy 2.8 and going down through the end of chapter 3, he takes up his third sin, that of being a disruptor of the church. I dedicate several detailed episodes in season 3 of the Eden podcast to this passage in the context of 1 Timothy. Finally, Paul tells Timothy to retrain the subgroups of men and women overseers, those who had gone astray in their teaching and their practice. They were not to be delivered over to Satan to learn their lessons, as were Hymenaeus and Alexander. Instead, they were to be retrained by Timothy in the manner typical of rabbinical students who listened quietly and submissively to their teachers. These students learned in order to teach and practice. This was the ministry of the men and women overseers in the church at Ephesus. Why should they get such gentle treatment compared to High and Alex? Paul justifies his advice to Timothy in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15a, and this is the Eden section. He turns to what happened in Eden because the situation of the women overseers who were being retrained was very similar to that of Eve in Eden. Paul had been a second-degree blasphemer, persecutor, and disruptor. He hadn't sinned on purpose, like a first-degree murderer or sinner. He did it ignorantly and in unbelief. This had been the case for Eve. Adam ate the forbidden fruit with his eyes wide open. He was a deliberate and first-degree sinner, a first-degree eater, if you will. But Eve had to be deceived into eating. Only eating after being deceived did she eat. She, like Paul, was a second-degree offender. God gave Eve a gentler treatment than he gave the man. The man received a curse on the ground from God. This was a harsh sentence of judgment, but nothing was cursed by God because of the woman. In fact, a true reading of Genesis 3.16 shows that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit the woman in any way. What did God promise? In what promise could she place her trust? According to Genesis 3.15 and line 1 of 3.16, Eve would be saved by placing her faith in her offspring, in the one God had promised. God had promised that her offspring would crush Satan's head, and he did so on the cross. This familiar message to us is that her promised offspring, Jesus, is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's our champion, too. 
Do we think Eve had a different hope to believe in? We should not miss this message referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Jesus is the one. We look to him in faith to save us. Eve looked to him in faith to save her. That's the message of the three verses at the end of 1 Timothy 2. Let's not get sidetracked by verses 13 and 14 in 1 Timothy. In what came to be numbered as verse 15a, Paul testifies that Eve was saved through, quote-unquote, the, capital C, childbearing. Eve was saved through the childbearing. The word childbearing is a singular noun that has within it the potential of plural fulfillment. Of course it does. There were many generations of Eve's seed down until the birth of Jesus by Mary in Bethlehem. Now let's look verse by verse at 1 Timothy 2.13 to 15a in the light of the true 3.16. I'll read those verses from my translation. For Adam was first created, then Eve... And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, became a wrongdoer. But she would be saved through the childbearing. Verse 13. If we've studied closely the Garden of Eden chapters in Genesis 2 and 3, something in verse 13 should immediately stand out. This little verse reads, For Adam was first created, then Eve. When these two were first created, their names were not Adam and Eve. Nowhere in their Eden adventures up through Genesis 3.19 do we come across the name Eve. The look back in Genesis 5.2 says they were named Adam, or humankind, when they were created. So, in the beginning, we can say they were Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Only after the attack by Satan and the judgments by God in Genesis chapter 3 do we come across the name Eve. As soon as God leaves off speaking to him, the man arrogates the name Adam only to himself. Using the naming formula, he debases her by naming her just like he had dubbed or named the animals over whom he alone at the time ruled, as we read in Genesis chapter 2. He presumes to usurp God's rule over the woman and dubs her with a new name of his choice. This is the obvious beginning of his daring to rule over her. The reference in 1 Timothy 3.13 to someone by the name of Eve does not follow the order of events in Eden. It is anachronistic. Why does Paul do this? What do you think? I think using these two names emphasizes the actions of these two individuals. We are led to look at each one of them separately by the use of these out-of-place names. Verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived became a wrongdoer. May I ask you a question? Is it better to do wrong on purpose or worse? Who was the first-degree sinner in Eden? Who was the second-degree sinner? Adam was not deceived, and he sinned. Who was Adam like when compared to the situation in Ephesus? Was he like Paul, the blasphemer? Or was Adam like Hymenaeus and Alexander, the rebellious blasphemers? So let's compare him with Eve, shall we? Eve was deceived into sinning. Who was Eve like when compared to the situation in Ephesus? Was she like Paul, the second-degree sinner, who was then appointed to serve by Jesus the Word? Or was Eve like Hymenaeus and Alexander, the rebellious overseers? Do you see the point Paul is making to Timothy? He is giving advice on how to deal with second-degree sinners. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus not to destroy the wayward overseers, but to correct them. Were these women overseers good candidates for retraining and successful restoration to the good work they desired to resume? Paul says they were like Eve, not Adam. They were like Paul, not High and Alex. 
Verse 15a. Now we get to verse 15a. Quote, but she would be saved through the childbearing. What was the positive point to get from Eve's example? And what did Eve believe? Eve believed in God's promised Messiah and was saved. If Christ had not triumphed over Satan, Eve would have been lost. But Christ did go to the cross. Christ did redeem all those who looked to him in faith. In her day and age, that's what Eve did. Paul himself believed in God's promised Messiah. Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul believed. The women in Ephesus being corrected by Timothy would be restored by this same Redeemer. I don't like to see people claiming strange teachings to be from God in the Bible. Don't be among the crowd that stands for the status quo on the mistranslation of Genesis 3.16 and misinterpretations based on that. Reevaluate the message of each passage on women and men based on the true 3.16. Many are telling me their eyes have been opened. They now preach God's word on these passages with power. They no longer hesitate and hold their nose while teaching weird things others claim to see in the Bible. Take charge of what you believe and what you teach others. We've seen the fruit of bad teaching. There are headlines, blogs, podcasts, and reports telling us about the fruit of faulty doctrines and the harm they work on those who spread them. Let's make headlines proclaiming what we find in our fresh look at 1 Timothy, read in the light of the true 316. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast. Do you have your own copy of the Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3, to and our other books on the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible? Visit our website at true316.com. Do you want to go deeper? You're invited to enroll in the current study unit of True School. Take a look. Go to true316.com slash school.